Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hello and welcome, automotive world. This is the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I'll be your host today. Today on the show, I have a guest joining me, Chris Lewis. Uh, Chris Lewis is the Director of Training with Automotive Training Group, or ATG, and Chris is an absolute wealth of knowledge in the automotive industry. He's, uh, he's been in the industry for 47 years between uh, being a technician and training. It's an impressive <laughs> stat, no matter which way you look at it. 47 years of doing any career is incredibly impressive, but Today, he's going to share with us a little bit about himself, but also what ATG uh, as a training company has to offer uh, the automotive industry and technicians. Uh, He's going to talk about the classes, the instructors, the training manuals, and just share some uh, really useful automotive information for everybody. So a really good interview. I'm excited to get going. So let's jump right in. Well, welcome, Chris. How's it going today? Pretty good, Sean. Uh, nice to be here. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Um, yeah. Try to help out you and your listeners, try to understand what our industry's got, and uh, hopefully we'll understand what you help do to help our industry get uh, the future for the techs, make them happier. How's that sound? Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, I'm, the, the goal here, uh, you know, the podcast as a whole is just to try to get out uh, information to to people that are you know hungry to learn and better themselves and you know I I always felt that way when I was in the industry as a tech is like where can I go to get you know more information and resources and stuff so um, I don't know I just felt inclined to do my best to provide that for yeah. uh, for the industry. And one word you said is hungry. You know you you got to stay hungry with the technology change we are coming out and. You know, what's under the hood of cars we haven't uh, even dealt with yet, what the future holds. Um, you know, things that we might have learned 15, 20 years ago might not play into effect in today's cars. You know, the thought process or the diagnostic procedure. Um, yeah, yeah, you got you to gotta evolve <laughs> with yeah. with the changing vehicles and the, the technology that's going into yeah. everything today. But it is a lot of fun. I mean... I still get chills when I teach classes, when I can say, guys, we can make it this simple. You know, we using an ideology or using a diagnostic discipline. Um, and it is very rewarding when you got a car that maybe, especially when they came from other shops or a dealership that couldn't be figured out and you diagnose it and you get it right the first time. To me, that's that's why I'm a mechanic. That, that's a heck of a feeling uh, when, you know, you're, you're that guy that it's been to three, four other shops and you end up figuring it out. And, and maybe it's even it's simple for you. Or maybe it's not. But just that feeling of of nailing it and just getting yeah, through oh, that yeah. problem. That's that's what kept me coming back <laughs> as a tech every day. Yeah. So maybe I'll get that one that I can solve. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's and sometimes even the fact of just doing simple maintenance on a car, knowing that the car is safer for the family to drive. You know, whether it be kids in it or uh, grandparents or something to that effect. Hey, you know, when that car leaves my bay, it's safe. You know, I'm not doing it for the money, but even though money is nice, I'm doing it because I like 
I like helping people, you know, and uh, a lot of mechanics, I'm sure you would agree to this. We were born with this skill. You know, you've got that talent to work with your hands and you don't want to sit behind a desk. Yeah. There's a lot of careers where you may be helping someone in some way, but maybe you don't directly see it every day, but this is a field where, I mean, you you see it immediately, the people and the families that, that you're, you're keeping them going, keeping them on the road. And like you said, safe, but just, um, it it is, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. Um, and and your friends and family too, if you're willing, you know, not everybody is, and that's fine, but you know, um, if I can, help out my neighbors and stuff. That's sure. Why not? <laughs> sure. Sure. I just had a recent one where my neighbor came over and I said, where's your, he's got multiple cars. I said, where's your little pickup truck? And he said, well, it's at the mechanic. I said, it's been a while. He says, what's, I said, what's the problem? And he goes, well, every once in a while I want to hit the brake pedal. It's hard as a rock. I said, how often? He goes, I don't know. Cause he wants a week, once a day. And the mechanic thinks it's a bad ABS control module. And I started thinking, I said, no, that doesn't sound like an ABS control module. I said, ask the technician to uh, pull the ABS fuse and see if it happens. Sure enough, it still happens. It was nothing more than a brake booster. But this guy was going to go for, I think it was $600 for the ABS control module, plus programming. Yeah. And I never touched the car, but it just made me feel good that I saved this older gentleman uh, quite a bit of money. Because he would have put an ABS control module in it, and it would have still happened. And then he still would have had to put a booster in it. Yep. Um, It's things like that that I like telling those stories. Not that I help him. It's just that the mechanic can help. You know, it's scary. Um, Try to help people out. And as you said, the car comes in, ain't running right, and you can see the difference right away or the smile on the customer's face. You know, um, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling. I will tell you this, that as a trainer, Watching the expressions of my students is my is the reward. When they okay. tell me they came to a class two weeks ago, I mean, excuse me, uh, a year ago, and they used some diagnostic discipline we taught them, and it fixed them cars. You get an email, hey, you taught a class last night, and I actually used it today and fixed two cars. Nice. You know, that's just, you know, because you you probably uh, most mechanics know that when they get into the industry they struggle. It's now, it's a very tough tough industry to to be a, right. a beginner and, in, and then all of a sudden we can find ways to make it easy for everybody involved. To me, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've I've only been teaching for about three years, but um, now that some of my students are out in the field for a couple of years, um, I keep in contact with a with a few of them, and yeah, it is it is really cool to hear some of the things that they're learning yeah. and able to do. Very, very rewarding. But uh, speaking of you being a trainer, uh, would you just take a moment to just let everybody listening uh, know about yourself, you know, how long you've been in the field and maybe what got you into training? You have enough time? <laughs> let's, go, let's go for it. There's no rules right. in podcasting. Um, just completing my 47th year in the automotive industry. Wow. It pretty much is. I mean, I had. A, I think I had one year where I was working part time as a mechanic and part time. I had another job because I didn't want to make a decision to be a mechanic the rest of my life. I never did anything else. My first job was doing body work and mechanical work in a shop, and I was 16 years old. So it's pretty much in my blood, um, and I've enjoyed it. But of the 47 years in this business, 37 of those years, I was a mechanic in the bay. 
Um, and that's extremely important to me. And as I <clears throat> talk to my uh, other trainers in ATG, we, I push, never remember those days, you know, when you just couldn't afford to buy the latest and greatest equipment. Um, remember what it's like to be 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, and I use that because throughout my career, I can remember days where I'd have a problem car and I would call the local guy down the road, a friend of mine, and say, hey, Teddy, and he talked to me with the food problem. And then, then I noticed as time went on, I was doing my own reading. You know, we barely had the internet back in those days. Um, he'd start calling me. So one day I just said, you know what? I said, how about you guys bring you guys after work, come over to the shop. I'll buy the pizza and soda. We'll hang out. And let me show you this equipment that I bought and some of these tricks and some of these things that I made. Basic wiring, basic sensor things. And that's how it started. Um, I enjoyed it. And then I had gotten a job. And the, um, the Snap-on tool rep saw me talking to a younger tech. And he looked at me and goes, you're going to make a good trainer someday. And it, helping out other shops, doing things on my own, going to their shops after work. Um, if they got a new piece of equipment that I was comfortable with, I would tell the sales, hey, if you sell this to somebody local, I'll go hang out one night after work and help them out with it. And I got the name around. Uh, OTC, uh, Scantle, Genesis, um, they had hired me to do some uh, after-sales support. In other words, you buy a tool, you got a problem, we send a trainer out, or you buy the big manager package. That started more part-time. And then um, I started a training company of my own here in New Jersey. Just local stuff, you know, maybe 10, 15 guys, the local firehouse, uh, 20, I mean, maybe you got a two-hour class. It's nothing, nothing great. But one thing that I think the biggest thing that I did that made um, my career was you hear these national training events, whether it be uh, Industry Week in Vegas, SEMA Apex, or you um, Vision is one of the larger training events in uh, Kansas City. Sure. You got Super Saturday in Pennsylvania. You got the big event in. Uh, I would go to these events, and I wouldn't go because I wanted to learn uh, how to fix cars. I wanted to learn the industry because all I knew was what the shop I worked in in Bergen County, New Jersey. I wanted to learn the whole industry, my curiosity. And I got to meet a lot of people and a lot of people got to meet me. And I saw the amount of effort and desire I had. And then, well, I met a company called ATG. It turns out I had known them under a previous owner, previous name. And they said, you want to try doing a little training for us? That was, ten, uh, that was almost 10 years ago. Okay. And then about five years after that, they said, would you like to become director of training? And I said, great. What do I, what's that mean? I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, Sounds important. Got, yeah. Um, and now I couldn't be happier. I get to travel. Uh, well, I've traveled. I think I've done 37, 37 states I've taught in. I've taught in every lower every lower province of Canada multiple times. I've been to Japan. Wow. Uh, ATG has taught in Brazil. I think it was the uh, America Samoa. Um, we're all over the place. Um, we yeah, we've taught in all fifty states. Like I said, you know, multi uh, internationals we call it. Um, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, I'm getting knowledge. Uh, Tim Flannery uh, he's uh, does product development. He writes all our training manuals. We'll talk about that later. I read them word for word and kick myself for not knowing this stuff years ago. <laughs> and uh, I, I try to put things in a layman's terms. 
And as we just said before, the, the best thrill is just watching the faces on people. And they're like, wait a minute. They'll say to you something like, wait a minute, Chris, you're telling me I can diagnose that with like 95% accuracy in five minutes? Yeah, why not? I just had one last week. It took me three days. You know, it, it, that excitement. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, sometimes I say it's like I'm the father and I'm talking to my children, giving them advice about life, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time reading. I, I probably spend every bit of eight days a week talking about something, you know, whether it be neighbors, friends, other trainers. My trainers and I were all on the phone all the time. Um, you know, just talking to you, learning sure. different things about the industry. You know, um, I was on the road teaching this week in Chicago, but we did webinars, so I couldn't watch the webinar. And I called my trainers up. I said, oh, how'd it go? Oh, it was great, great, great. I said, no. How can I make it 1% better? Okay. You know, so we just talk, just get some ideas. And um, we're talking about the ideologies and, and ways to present things. And it just, I just love it. I just love it. Luckily, I'm good at it. I think I am because I still got a job. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, for 47 years, that's got to say something for sure. Yeah, well, you know, so back to why how I became a trainer and about me, it's um, I worked in a body shop as a mechanic. So I was getting a lot of cars where you're not going to get a wiring diagram. Then I was before computers. So you, the manuals weren't printed. Then you might have been to the dealership, but not in the aftermarket. Um Scan tools were just like, you know, just coming out. You know, I'm like, all right, great. I bought a scan tool. What do I do with it? You know, um, <laughs> you, there was no internet. So there was no such thing as online training. Um, ebooks were never heard of. So you kind of forced. And the one thing I always remember, late 80s Fords, <clears throat> there was no such thing as data stream. Right. It was flash. You had codes with a sweep of a meter or something. So. I said, if I'm going to fix these cars and I'm going to stay in this industry, I've got to learn it. You know, I didn't blame anybody else later in my career. I just took the responsibility. I'm going to do whatever it takes, whether I'm a, an intelligent person and I can read it once and get it, or do I have to read the book three times? Again? It doesn't matter. Some subjects I get, some I read the books three times. Or, you know, um, so there was a desire. And you said the word before, hungry. That I just was always curious on how things worked. And, you know, one saying, you know, I got quite a few different sayings throughout the years. A mechanic has this job. Here's the keys. You got an hour to diagnose it. Correct? It's pretty much the industry standard. So now someone's telling me I got to diagnose it and how much time I'm going to take. All right. I better do a little more studying tonight at home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I go out to these uh, trade shows and national events to get my I didn't realize I was getting my name and face around, but I'd be asking those kind of questions. You know, why is your tool better than his tool? Um, it's curiosity. And, um, like I said, I think uh, most mechanics have it in their blood. I really do. But it's been a good ride, and I'm getting up there in age, and people are saying, when are you going to retire? Never. I don't work for a living. I'm having fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, yeah, if anybody can say that, you know, they're just – they're just doing what they love every day and getting paid for it. That's, that's the dream, right? <laughs> uh, for example, when I'm not working on classes or working on automotive, I'm working on my boat. Okay. I got twin 454 engines. So guess what? I just love tinkering. I love figuring things out. I love creating things. 
Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is such a, uh, a key, you know, personality trait. And most people that get into this business is obviously they like working on stuff. They like working with their hands, but going back to something that you mentioned, just recognizing in yourself that I do need to, I do need to improve myself. I need to go learn. I need to seek something out that, that is a, a whole nother thing that unfortunately not everybody has, or not, they don't have it right away. Um, it is maybe an ego thing where I can just show up and I'm going to do my thing and I don't need to put in, you know, any extra effort. I don't need to seek anything out. But once you get past that and you realize, okay, I need to learn, I need to go absorb it from somewhere. Uh, it, it, it sends your, your skill set through the roof. Uh, uh, once yeah. you're actually able to observe that and go out and find some, some training or education somewhere. Well, another motivator for me back in the, when I was younger was, was financial. You know, I'm seeing people in other industries with newer cars or even some other mechanics with newer cars or bigger toolboxes. And I'm like, well, why are they getting paid more than me? Why do they have more money than me? And then I realized, you know, I got to look and blame the guy in the mirror. Was I putting in the time? I mean, we chose to be mechanics. But when you make that decision, no one's going to tell you that in 15, 20, 30 years, you're going to have millions and millions of lines of software coding anywhere from 50 to 75 modules, electric vehicles, you know, that's not what I signed up for. I signed up for keep buying bigger hammers. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, if you couldn't fix it, you need a bigger hammer, you know, bigger <laughs> toolbox and bigger hammers. You, you know, we didn't know. So we go with the, um, the chain gear in the industry, but that's one thing I love. You'll never be bored. No. I guarantee it. You'll never be bored. You know, you can read everything you need to know today, get up tomorrow morning, and it's, it's, some of it may change. Um, no, I love it. Um, I don't ever want to retire. Um, I joke around if I hit the lottery, the only difference is I fly first class and stay in suites. <laughs> That's just about it. You know, That's great. I love it. It's, it's cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I worked with a, a guy at Firestone for a number of years, and I think he, he retired at 40. Um, but it, it really was, it was a, it was a treat to get to work with him. Um, and to see the perspective of everything he'd seen uh, over his years in the industry. Cause that's, I mean, 47 years, 40 years, that's, that's a long time in, in one industry and just the wealth of knowledge and experience that you get from mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I got, I got big respect for anybody that can stick with anything for that long. So <laughs> that's really well, cool. You gotta look at the other side of it. Maybe I'm just not good enough to do anything else. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it can go either way. No, I, I love what I do, and uh, working with ATG is um, has been a godsend to me. It really is, and um, it's just downright fun. Well, uh, yeah, tell us, uh, tell us about ATG Automotive Training Group, uh, what they're all about. I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I've never really gone in depth as far as you know what the what the company's all about um well they're out of san diego california that's where the main office is uh but basically what the company is is we uh we write our own training manuals the average class that you'll go to um they're all instructor lads you go to the facility a facility all over the country as i said before the annual manual is 350 to 350 to 400 pages once in a while you'll get a manual at 200 like uh Coming specific or a uh, hands-on lab scope, which is specifically designed for uh, that demo board we're using. But the books are not, <clears throat> excuse me, not as much about 
the other type of manuals that you read. They're about uh, an ideology. They're about how to diagnose. You know, we could probably spend all night talking about theory of how things work. And all of that stuff's cool to know. But we only have that diagnostic hour. We have to know how to diagnose it. So our ideology is, uh, the terminology will break up a little bit deeper later, it's called um, high-level indicators. So we write our own books, pretty much Tim Flannery does all the, all the research, 80% of the research, does all the writing. And then we have an office in San Diego, like I said, with our administrative and sales team, and they put together classes all over this country. Um, at any given time, um, we could have anywhere from eight to 10 classes going on a given day throughout the country. Um, it's an instructor led. We still are firm believers of uh, being a, you know, being live in a classroom. We know with the COVID, it's been a little bit tough for the last few months. Um, a lot of people doing webinars as we are too. Um, but most of our students like the one of the hands on the face to face. I'm sure you do the same with your students. Yeah. Nothing to do it and talk to them. Nothing to show them. Um, most of our classes are all classroom oriented. We don't do that much hands on because we're using uh, hotels, conference rooms. The class sure. is 6.30 to 10 at night. We probably have, in the last 10 years, um, about 30 different subjects. We teach anywhere from any of the main diesel manufacturers to uh, electrical wiring diagram, GM Ford crisis specific. When it comes to the imports, what we did that seems to work great is we'll do like... Um, Import, EVAP import. So we'll talk about teach you EVAP on all the imports. Uh, GDI, VVT are the same thing. Um, and we stress heavily is this is how it works. We have a little bit of theory, how the component works. Then we'll explain maybe some of the problems, which like in EVAP on Toyota is the terminology that gets everybody in trouble. It's still the same thing on other cars with a different name, different location. Then we're going to show you our way to diagnose it, okay? Some of the stuff you read in normal, Mitchell, all that, or whatever you're using, shop information. <clears throat> um, but some of it is ours. Things, ideas we came out with. Then you might have a chart in your book that say, do this test. And then with that test, that'll guide you towards the next test. Instead of following a flow chart that says, if you go this way, this way, you have a little mindset to it. And then we have case studies normally multiple to show you how our way is a lot faster um i'll give you just a, a quick example um a network can bus you know network communication control area network on a car mm -hmm. um there are a lot of people out there that fix them and diagnose them fairly simple with uh out of lab scope now this is an and this is not an atg thing it's just that they can diagnose it with a multimeter well what if you can do it with a different tool and we'll teach you how to do it. We'll teach you how to set up the tool and show you how to do it in half the time. Okay. Um, so no, it's uh, we've been around, I think they've been in business now for 17 years. Yeah. 17 years. They've been in business now. Okay. The, uh, the administrative, uh, uh, Tim is the president. Heather's the vice president. I think between, they both have 30 something years each. They work for Gendum books. Uh, Mitchell books back in the day. So this is also in their blood. Um, and as I said, we, we don't teach you this is how an ignition coil works. 
this is how a spark plug works. We don't, you know, we may give you a five minute description of how a turbo works, but I don't tell you what the torque or the bearing size is or what the torque is. Uh, we don't really discuss repair. What we discuss is diagnose, diagnose, diagnose. So when you do the repair, it's a one-time repair. So I'll give you one more. You have a car in your bay and it's got a misfire and a PO201 code for injector number one circuit fault. Okay. And the flow charts, which were all taught many, many years ago, that was the only way we knew, um, is going to tell you to go to the injector and check for 12 volts. And they're going to tell you to own the injector. Sure. So can you imagine if you went to that injector and how long does it take to get to the injector though? <laughs> yeah, it depends. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, this car is out there. You can be into it a half hour, 45 minutes to get to it. You check the injector and you got your 12 volts, you got good ground and it ohms out. Inspect. Now what? Yeah. You got to put it all back together, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, what if we can learn other ways of doing it? Uh, whether it be with a lab scope or something as simple as fuel trim. Um, you know, if your fuel trim is extremely high, you've got a fuel-related problem. If it stays high on all driven conditions, it's going to be an injector of fuel pressure at that so, you know, that injector. Um, if it's only high fuel trim at idle, it's going to be a vacuum leak, like an intermediate runner on that gasket or an injector O-ring. So. That's the way we break everything down. Um, try to make it simple, and we use the terminology high-level indicators, and I convert that to my language. Any test you can perform in five minutes or less, okay, just do it. You know, I'm sure you've had, and you work on cars yourself, and you've had the conversation, you know what, this car's got this bad hesitation, and I really, I'm really, really wondering if I've got a problem with the crank sensor started out or the mass airflow or fuel pressure every mechanic is only going to make the decision and they've got no codes is going to make a decision based upon their personal experience if you personally got a lot of mass airflows causing that symptom you're going to have to get a mass airflow if i've got a lot of crank sensors in my history causing this kind of symptom i would do crank and you want to say hey sean you know I, I got this car what's your opinion we're going to talk for 10 minutes about it correct Mm. In 10 minutes, I got to test both of them. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, you might as, you might as well just run through it and see what's, yeah. <laughs> what, what you got. Right. So we have our specific high-level indicators, things are the, the ones that I use the most. Um, idle quality. That's, if I got a misfire code, it's going to tell me if it's intermittent or not. And I want to be looking for a uh, misfire that's not misfiring because I got a code for the misfire. If it's idling great, your timing chain didn't jump a tooth. Right, a little simple, but even though you got a cam crank correlation code, okay, <clears throat> fuel trim um, is going to tell me if it's fuel related. Mm -hmm. um, throttle angle also tells me a lot. If the throttle blade was completely closed and the engine's running, you got a vacuum. Sure. Right. We use. Um, I use a vacuum gauge. Yeah, that's such a huge, I think it's a underused test nowadays. It's just popping a gauge on there and see what okay. you got. <laughs> and then the last test is volumetric efficiency. Okay. You think on a road test is even breathing as designed, 100 designed. But you, trick, you guys have a calculator for that, right? We do on our website. Yes, okay. we do. It's a free download. Um, or you can do it interactively on the website. 
But here's the thing. It's not about trying to figure out what's wrong with the car. Because if that's the truth, and that's what you want to do, you are going to be fighting the software. Because we don't know what the software is going to do and every single year make a model car when it sees that little glitch in the, in the mass airflow. Or if it sees a vacuum leak, or it's, you know, there, there is a vacuum leak. That's computer strategy. That's what sets codes. That puts in default values, backup strategies. And nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to know every single year make a model car. Because as soon as you pass, what kind of car do you drive, Sean? Uh, I got a 03 Buick Park Avenue. Okay. So let's say I would dare to say you know that car pretty well. I'd say so, yeah. Okay. And you understand the strategies of that. And then all of a sudden, you got a little problem. You got to check engine light. You find us a software update. You just update the computer. What happened to your strategies? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so think of this. Why don't we learn to do simple, easy tests that take five minutes or less to prove what it's not? Yeah. Uh, one of the big ones for me uh, that I added in the last uh, few years, like into almost almost every drivability complaint is a relative compression test. Um, you know, I didn't use it in the past. And I, 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 now that I do, you know, if I have a misfire, that's going to be one of my first tests. It's just to, just to throw that on there and see sure. what's going on. And again, yeah, maybe you don't find anything, but how long did it take you to do it? It's yeah. a very I, short process and gives you so much information. I make a note of that because it's got to be a scope user, but now we got scan tools out there that are doing it right through the OBD2 connector using voltage drop. Yeah. Uh, Ford's been doing it for quite some time. I know GM is now doing it, and that's on the factory side. I know Ford CIC with an aftermarket scan tools. Um, eScan has it built into there. It's an Ergo to scan tool, PC base that has it. Someone told me the new Autel. Uh, they want to show it to me in class. I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, and I even joked around in the class this past week a car came in with a trans shift issue and you pull the dipstick out if it had one and the fluid was the worst you've ever, you pretty much know you're going to be doing a trans on this car. Would you do relative compression? Well, <laughs> if I'm going to sell them a transmission, <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea to make sure their engine's in good shape. Right. You know, so that's the things that we say do. It's a, number one, we all need to practice. You know, if you don't do it for six months, you're going to forget how to do things. Get into this routine of how to diagnose with an ideology of like I, the one I use the most is prove to me what it cannot be. Just prove it. It's not. Hey, I don't know why this car is misfiring, but I know for a fact, relative compression, I don't have a hard rock solid mechanical fault. But on the other hand, as I say, most guys with misfires and I'm not going to pick it on anybody because it's the way we were all taught. When you get a misfire, we start with a tune up. Mm -hmm. Cause we've been doing that since, the cars were ever, you know, talking about it in the 60s. So now the car gets a coil or the boot in the, right in the plug and it doesn't fix it. Now what? Well, if I've got a good auto quality and my misfire is intermittent, I'm going to do relative compression, look at a vacuum gauge, and look at my fuel trim, and then I'm going to do VE. If you've got high fuel trim numbers, no spark plug is going to fix that car. <laughs> right. <laughs> so diagnose it. Then you sell the spark plugs if you if the customer is maintenance. Um, so it, it's trying to get mechanics to stop. Well, why is this car setting a reoccurring 420 code? Why is and I put that's I do that was last week's phone call. 
the guy's third converter in two months. You think it's not the converter? <laughs> and I said, well, what did you check? He goes, well, I think my tech put the temperature gun on it, which is the old school way of testing things. Not the, the car manufacturer doesn't test that way. It's using a did you check the O2s? You check relative compression? You check mode six for misfires? Did you check what's the out of volume? Well, it runs a little rough. You, want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's where we get into the trap. And another one of my sayings, you live by the code, you die by the code. Because the only thing in your mind is the converter, the converter, the converter. Sorry, the converter is not going to be able to handle that amount of hydrocarbons. Right. You know, well, that's a, that's a lot of what, you know, diagnosing really is, is, you know, we've got all these tests that we, we perform and we expect a, a certain result if everything's good. And that, I mean, that, I guess that goes into really making a good test is you should expect something. And yeah, like you said, we're just trying to prove everything out. Okay. Is it, yeah. <laughs> if I do this test, I get a good result. It's not that. I'm going to move on closer to, right. uh, to what it is. that injector, as I mentioned before, you're expecting to see a problem, right? Because the code says you got a problem there. The flow chart's just sending you there. You're going to go to that injector. You're going to check that injector. And you're hoping to find the first test you perform to find the broken part, whether you're a bad connection or bad injector. And it doesn't. Now you feel a little defeated. Now you don't really have a plan of attack. Well, what if we use a different ideology and say, well, before you check that injector, run through the things we just discussed. If you've got a scope, let's do relative compression. If you've got one of the scan tools, run relative compression. Put a vacuum gauge on the thing. You know, if you got a vacuum gauge that's bouncing like it can on Christmas morning, you may have a bad injector, but the car ain't going to run much better. Right. You know, um, and I'm sure you've seen it in your career. How many times the code doesn't match the part that I replaced? Uh, yeah, funny enough, I, I just had an episode about that exact thing where the code description, you know, just the name of the code and the scan tool can be very misleading at times. Not always, but sometimes, I mean, they're, if you just read the description, it is not even close to <laughs> what's what you actually what? need to go after. Well, what I ask uh, my students is, how often have you guys do you all change a mass airflow for a drivability issue? And everybody in there raises their hand because it's a common thing to go bad. Then I ask, how many times you changed the mass airflow? Did it have a mass airflow sensor code? That's not a common code, but it's a common fix. You know, you'll get uh, fuel trim issues. You get fuel trim codes with bad mass airflows. You might get uh, stalling issues, hesitation issues. Lack of power issues, um, 420 codes, converter codes are not uncommon. Um, we did have one where the crank sensor was given out. Uh, and No, the mass airflow was given out causing a stall, and the computer was sensing a change in the crank signal. And it's uh, that crank sensor code. Okay. And that's where you try to fight the engineers, and we learned you just can't. It's just not worth the time and effort. Now, the engineers, they designed it, and they were also write the flow charts. Yeah. You know, there's nothing greater to a mechanic. You're doing a flow chart. You're going, everything's going great. Nice day, nice weather. And you get to the bottom line, it says replace with no good PCM. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. Well, and sometimes it's not even that long of a list. There's three, four steps, and then replace module. <laughs> yeah, I think someone said I, I, it was a Chrysler product. That step one, replace module. 
<laughs> so we don't number one if i had it known good and what kind of a day are you going to have if you put a module in this thing and some of these modules are a thousand bucks and it doesn't fix the car yeah if you work on gms there's none of that it's it's brand new you can't swap in a used one or anything like that yep, yep. so and all i as when students call me got in class where they call me on a phone text me emailing i want to know what test you perform did you happen to do a voltage drop test on the injector well, no. Why not? Because it's not in the service manual for the flow chart. Right? Um, loading a circuit. Have you ever seen that in the flow chart? I can't say that I have. <laughs> right? Right? And those are the things that, as we, you know, I've been doing it long enough, and I remember every car to kick my butt and what mistakes I made. Um, so, yeah, so going back to it, that's the whole ideology of ATG. And, um, we're not going to sit here and tell you exactly that if the turbine is spinning that 18,000 18, RPM, you're going to get 2.3 PSI boost and the map sensor is going to read 1.68 volts. We don't go that deep. We used to years ago. I could tell you we would teach a class and I would tell you every single voltage for every single sensor on the car. Then we realized, number one, you're not going to remember it. Um, number two, uh, it had no value. Because we have now learned that a lot of your code setting criteria is learned values over time to compensate for wear and tear. Okay. Okay. Plus, they update a part, they updated part, they changed the voltage by, I don't know, 40 millivolts. Okay, who looks like the fool? Me, for teaching it that way. Yeah. So how about we break it down? And the manuals are written in such a way, they're actually written like you and I talking. They're not written in a that kind of a heavy structure. I did want to bring that up is yeah, it's not a, it's not like a real technical read when you read through these, it's like you were having a discussion with another tech. I, I, I mean, really do that, enjoy and, that. You're reading the book and he's cracking a joke. <laughs> so, um, I don't say it was a good joke, but, um, but then again, if I want to, if Tim hears this and I want to raise, it was a great joke, Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, so you could take it to your book and we have these things, we call them tables. They're like square boxes, you know, um, and you, you check your VE, you check your fuel trim. These are the driving conditions. The fuel trim went out at load or idle versus your rough, a rough idle. And we'll steer you on the next test. Go check your fuel pressure. Go check your um, cam crank correlation. And then you'll switch to that. I'll say the GM class. Then you'll switch to the, um, the mechanical section where we go through cam crank sync. If your fuel trims were way out, we might steer you over to the GDI section where we talk about GDI. So we we're not focusing on the year making model of everything. What we're focusing on is the system. And if I've got a vehicle that no matter how I drive this car from warm up to idle to light load, medium load to crazy mode, and my fuel trims are good under all driving conditions, your GDI system is good. Your problem may be the code sets. It could be intermittent. There is one code that can be set when that's when the cam follower wears out on the uh, on a high-pressure pump. But that fast, I can rule out that I either have a, uh, a fuel-related problem or not. I also can tell you that if I've got a misfire and my fuel trims are out, I'm going to look for a fuel issue, not an ignition issue. Sure. Okay. 
if I do have a rear a, a GDI code and axial trims are good, my problem is intermittent nature. And you and I had talked earlier about little tricks, keeping things simple. How about freeze frame data? Okay. What would you think could be wrong with a car? Say you got a misfire code or you got a GDI or fuel system, a uh, fuel injector code or whatever code you want it to be. And your freeze frame data says 304 RPM. And the coolant and the intake were the same temperature. We're, uh, we're looking at uh, the head gasket leak. Well, isn't that a startup condition? Uh, at 300, yeah. Yeah, that's cranking mode, correct? Mm-hmm. All right, well, if you didn't read freeze frame, you'd have that thing in your bay. You'd be driving up down a highway trying to duplicate the fault. So freeze frame, we call it one of our high-level indicators. If it's zero RPM, it happened key on which is an electrical circuit fault, not a performance issue. And we cover those things through our tables um, and through all our manuals. Stay on this discipline of just do the easy stuff. Um, I'm a huge fan of generic OBD2. <clears throat> I would have to say 80% of the cars that I fix, I could fix with a generic OBD2 scan for. Um, well, it's nice because you know everything you're going to see in there. You know what you can find there. You know, there's always going to be fuel trims. You're always going to see, you know, mass airflow rate if it has one. And um, sometimes you got to go outside of there, obviously, for stuff. But just that that standardized format can be really efficient and helpful in a lot of diagnosis. How about um, why can't we start with the basics? Why do we have to go right to the high-end stuff that we might not be as good with? With generic OBD2 or vacuum gauge or VE, fuel trim, all the, it's the same right across all manufacturers. So if affected on a GM, it works on a Ford. It's the same on a Toyota. Now, if I've got all that, that perfected and I understand all those PIDs and how things work, then I go to my more advanced level. Unfortunately... Um, in my career, I made the mistake to go to the advanced level right away. And I said, how often have you gotten your butt kicked on a car? And it was going to raise their hand in my class. And how many times you got your butt kicked? Because it was something simple. It just, yeah. I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So why don't we start with the easy stuff? <clears throat> you know, and in our classes, I'm talking about the but with you, we do take it up to some type of um, the, or the pretty advanced level stuff. Um, one of our latest classes we're doing now is the new is Ford, Ford Engine Performance. And some people are like, well, what's so new about Ford? You know, well, I have a 2019 F-150. Let me ask you, what do you think I got? Direct injection under that hood or port fuel? I would guess directed inject, direct injected. I know some of them are <clears throat> doing both on Toyotas yeah, and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. I've got two injectors per cylinder. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't diagnosed anything like that because it's all pretty new, but I can imagine that's going to be that's going to no. be tricky down the road. No, well, do you know what's tricky about it? To get to the inject, to replace the injectors, 3.5 hours. Is that so the, you, you the well, GDI ones? or You got well over an hour just to get to an injector to test it. Oh, boy. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I don't have to get to the injectors to test it. If my fuel trims are good, how's my injectors? They're working. Right. Okay, if the fuel trims are bad and I go through all my other high-level indicators, then I pretty much know I've got injector problem, and I'm not going to go there to uh, diagnose. I'm there to confirm my diagnosis. 
And while I'm there, I didn't know what Jack was be sitting there. EGRs are back on my two seven. Some older people understand EGR. We've got younger guys that never heard of that before. We've got twin turbos, and the turbos now spin twice as fast as any other turbo I've ever seen. They're at two, oh, 207,000 per. Jeez. Now, that's just the spec I throw in the class because I read it someplace, and it's cool. I don't know diagnostic value to it. Okay, how fast it spins. You know what the value of that is? What kind of oil do I have to use in this engine? It's going to have to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 207,000 RPM. I can't be, you know. Um, <laughs> so as we're talking here, so you got two injectors per cylinder. Um, they are, on my truck, I got 24 different fuel trim codes that can be produced. Okay. Yeah. Um, EGR is back. You've got drive-by-wire. I got a VVT system. Now, the VVT system is something unique. On most VVTs, the intake cam only goes advanced or earlier. The exhaust cams go retarded or later. Volkswagen be the odd guy out. Through my research, I have not found any other manufacturer. My truck in the Ford scan tool, I can command my exhaust cam in either direction. Really? So I, and I know it's working because you can hear that the RPM changed drastically, but I haven't been able to find when they're using that. Oh, okay. And someone brought up a fact that I'm going to try to play around with this coming week is maybe in a warm up condition or like a hard a... diesel condition. Okay. Um, have you ever worked on diesel? You've heard of an EGR cooler, correct? Yeah. Well, Ford had leftovers because they put them on my truck. I got a little V6. <laughs> With an EGR cool, it's like, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. But think about every every mechanic out there is going to work on a 150 unless you're a specialist. You know, it's the most common vehicle on the road. So when this comes into bay and you've got all these systems on it, direct, port, twin turbo, EGR, um, no more mass airflow. They went to map speed density. All right. Um, how are they going to diagnose that? Well, a little tip. Come to our class. It's not <laughs> going to be hard. Yeah. We're focus on the foundation, um, and then we're going to build our way up to advanced methods of testing this stuff and how we can figure out what's truly going on. You know, I'm only getting 15 PSI boost. Well, I can tell you right now what the problem is. And I don't have to know the year, make a model because of what we, the way we teach it to prove what it's not. So something you can apply across the board. Uh, our slogan is you can, you return an investment starts tomorrow because you'll fix cars. If you don't get to fix a car quicker and sometimes that's, um, you don't, the shop you work in, you know, you just don't have the right equipment or situation. But my firm belief is if you're more confident starting tomorrow morning after one of our classes, that ta- that confidence is priceless. That when I say to, the, say to the boss, this needs a timing chain, this needs a mass airflow, this needs a converter, this needs a PCM, I know it. Yeah. Well, and, and that that's huge. Just yeah, to be confident in your calls and your test results and knowing what you're seeing. And I remember as a tech going to training wherever it was, but I just come back and kind of feel rejuvenated, like I'm not just in that 
<laughs> that everyday grind of doing breaks and, mm-hmm. and snow tires, uh, changeovers. But of course, you know, after I'd come back from a big training event, that's what I'd get first as a snow tire changeover at Firestone. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I still felt really good. Like, let me, let me add that check engine light. I'm ready to go. You feel, you feel good after you, uh, it, like you said, invest in yourself, you're going to put that mm-hmm. money out for the training events. You got to pay for this sort of stuff, but it's going to pay you back, uh, you know, so pay. much more. I went through a phase of my career that I went for training and then I stopped going because every time I went to a training event, they were using equipment that I couldn't afford. So like they show me how to do the latest and greatest. Oh, that's great. I'm all excited to go back to the shop the next morning. I don't have that equipment. And I find out the price of that equipment. Is it okay? I ain't gonna buy that equipment. So that's why I love creating different ways to do things. You know, if I can teach you how to diagnose a timing chain that jumped the belt, jumped the tooth, on a car that takes four hours to get to the cover to remove it, or you can get to the cover and there's no more timing marks. If I can teach you how to do that with 80% confidence in about five minutes worth of work. That's worth the class right there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm not ordering the timing chain yet, but I got 80%, 90% confident that that's a chain problem. And now I'm going to speak to my supervisor, my boss, or the customer <clears throat> that I'm going to need X amount of time to verify whether you do in cylinder pressure, transducer, manual compression test, um, pull the front cover. Instead of digging and hoping we find, because we proved what it wasn't. Um, now, the, uh, like I said, so back to the manuals. Yeah, they're designed for you to take back to your shop and use in the bay. It's an actual tool that you got the car with this problem. You're going to go with we'll guide you through your test. We'll do some basic stuff. And then we'll send you to what chapter you need to be focusing on your fuel chapter, your ignition chapter, your mechanical chapter or air chapter. Air would be air induction systems. Um, so you get these manuals uh, when you attend a class, obviously, yep. but um, is there a way if a technician just wanted to purchase the manual, are they available for, for it, purchase? atgtraining.com okay yeah there's i think 30 manuals out there um out there um yeah they're all out there and all the subjects we discussed from network communication through diesel um if there's a diesel tech uh, that's listening and they get their hands on a six seven power stroke you are not getting to anything everything is so buried you know the fuel systems on the um common rail are a little problematic on the power stroke and to get to the one of the two solenoids you want to get to it to own the solenoid it's called a fuel volume regulator round uh, you're probably looking about an hour and 45 minutes to get to it Jeez. what if you can learn how to test that without ever popping a hood you have to you got to figure that out <laughs> right and then, so that's where we come up with our little tricks or ideas on how can we do this without being so intrusive. Um, if you're gonna go and do a um, intrusive test, hoping the first test is your last test because it's the only test you'll need. And you wanna verify your diagnosis, not figure out your diagnosis. You know. That's awesome, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get a little, uh, you get a little, let's go, yeah. let's give me a card, give me a card to fix, right? This is your feel right now. Yeah. Now, so our classes, they're normally 6.30 to 10 o'clock at night. Um, so it'll be Monday and Tuesday. So it's seven hours total. 
the you get the manual with the class. Um, I got some students that buy two manuals. They want one manual for the shop and one manual at home to read. Okay. Um, um, and you know, normally, like uh, I just spent a week in Chicago, so I was in the southwest part of, I guess, ten miles, fifteen miles southwest of Chicago, and for Monday, Tuesday, and then I go to the northern part of the state of Illinois and teach two more nights. Um, like I said before, we're all over this country. Um, when you go to our website, you, know, you, can, you can sign up to our, on our website and get notified of who teaches in your area. You know, you put your address in, what state you're from, and we come in and we, you know, we contact, you know, there's not a lot of pressure. <clears throat> um, but I have never met anybody who has ever said they've gone to an ADD class, never learned anything. Um, yeah, they're, they're great classes. I, I can personally test to the ones I've been to. I really enjoyed them. Um, you said you're, is ATG still doing online? Uh, we are still doing webinars, um, you know, with the COVID stuff. Um, you know, besides the fact that the, our trainers would have gone insane, probably <laughs> nothing to do. Yeah. So we're currently doing webinars. I mean, how long this is going to last once COVID is behind us, if ever, no one knows. Right. You know, people say, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, oh, well, first I'll wake up, watch the news for five minutes, <laughs> and head out the door, and then figure out what I'm going to do. Well, um, yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, yeah, we're doing webinars. Um, we were doing them every single week. Uh, now, as the trainers are going back on the road, we had to scale back a little bit. Because we've learned it's impossible to do a webinar while you're teaching a class. Yeah. Um, so um, I think we just did GM Wednesday, Thursday night. Uh, this next week we're off. Next month, I, the only one I know of, I'm teaching a wiring diagram class. And it's not as much about how to read a wiring diagram, which is the basics. You know, we cover briefly. But how to use that to diagnose a vehicle. When you've got an electrical problem. You don't want to be ripping stuff apart. You know, you got an older car. How many connectors can they take apart without them just falling apart on it? You know, so studying the diagram, and we use the old same theory, prove what it's not. We could cross in the class that I teach. I did a webinar uh, about three weeks ago. I'm teaching again, I think, in December. Um, I use a whiteout pen and say, well, these three things are on the same circuit. And that can be, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll go, if you want, if we have time later, go a little deeper into a, a case study where if voltage is high, I expect the five volt uh, sensor to give me about one volt and the voltage is repeating 4.5. Well, since the fact that the sensor and the scan tool are both reporting 4.5, we know that it's not a five volt feed. Because if I had a five volt feed that was broken, I'd have zero volts. Mm -hmm. So I can pretty much cross off five volt feet to that sensor and every other sensor on the car and it's getting five volts off that leg. Sure. Got, right. Um, so again, we prove what it's not through thought process, a little bit of basic electrical, um, a saying perfect the basics that again, that's the terminology. I'll never forget. Never stop saying to even younger guys, you know, younger guys want to know what, what I recommend perfect the basics you don't have to have the latest and greatest equipment being the best tech out there but with every skill level you've got perfect it before you move on you got to have a good solid foundation if you're into electricity pretty much everything is electrical driven so the, with the wiring diagram class we go through well i do it with powerpoint we, we just get rid of it and we had a monte carlo as an example headlights don't work high beam indicator does it's already had new bulbs 
Okay, so we go back to, let's say, my era. I'm going to go up to the front headlights, the high beams with my test light, correct? Well, <clears throat> that's great. But then you get that car with the same exact problem. And to get to the back of the high beam, you got to pull the battery out. Yeah. Okay, no. Then they get to another car with the same problem. And to get to the headlight, I got to drop the bumper. <laughs> yeah. Then you got the same problem on the same type, I mean, a different type of car, the same symptom. And you got to drop the bumper and you got ADIS cameras in there. That's yeah. not a smart way to test. No. Right? So by testing and looking at wiring diagrams we, and knowing that the low beams work, we crossed off anything to do with the low beams. So the wiring diagram just got cut in half. We know the high beams work, so guess what? Anything before the high beams has to work. We can't have two bad bulbs. You can't have like the power feed to the left bulb affecting the right bulb as an open circuit. It couldn't be a ground on the left, so it can't be one of the powers of the grounds from the splicer. So cross that off. The only thing left on the page is a wire, well, in the diagram, it's only about an inch long going to the bulkhead connector. And you didn't have to pop the hood. You didn't have yeah. to see. You know, it's that type of way to go about it. That mentality that, uh, I mean, let me personally, I'm trying to push big time. Because when I teach that class live, and I did uh, about a week and a half ago, the expressions on their faces, I give them some pretty complicated cars. And I go around the room, this is exactly what we started talking about earlier. I go around the room, guys, so I give them a year, make a model. The story's been to multiple shops. Is that all shiny new parts on it already. Hopefully, maybe some used parts. Honestly, what do you think would be fair for you to diagnose this in time? And you go around the room, and you know, when he does something that's been to three shops, multiple new parts, like I said, you don't have too many hands in the soup, you're, you're not going to try to get an hour. Let's be honest and say you probably look at about a two hour diagnosis, maybe two and a half. So I said, okay, and I agreed, and we write it down. And then I give them the wiring diagram. I actually hand it to them with a bunch of highlighters. And I guide them, and they diagnose it in 20 minutes. On paper. <laughs> yeah. And then I asked them, what color was the car? I don't know. What was the engine size? I don't know. Was the fan belt on? I don't know. And that, guess what? I don't know. I don't care. We diagnosed the problem. Um, and we did this on a quite, I think I do um, eight examples like that. Okay. Uh, using that, that whole theory of prove what it's not. Whether it be a drivability issue, an electrical issue. Yeah, that basic electrical um you know, going going with what you were saying, the the basics perfect that before you move on, and and we really push that in our courses at the community college. You know, we we teach all areas of the car as according to what NATEF or ASE wants, but throughout the whole thing, we're pushing that that basic electrical because man, you get that that basic skill down, mm -hmm. and you apply it to any circuit on any car, and. Gonna, your life's going to be so much easier <laughs> if yeah. if you take the time there. So we really work with our students because, man, it yeah. is it is so yeah. important. Now, we talked to before about the evolution of this industry and how things have changed. And, you know, it's not much longer before the boss is going to tell a technician, I need to bring that Mustang in, and they're going to grab their phone and grab an app, and their Mustang's going to drive into the bag. Okay? It's just a matter of time before. And I say a car can fly in the bag. You can give me a hybrid vehicle. You can give me a, a tractor trailer. Um, you can give me a full electrics, anything you want. There's one thing I guarantee you they cannot change. No matter what they want to do to a car, even all this automatic braking and automatic steering, 
There's one thing that cannot ever change on us, and that's the basic laws of electricity. And everything is based upon it. When I teach a hybrid class, I'll give you a little teaser. Hybrid is not something a lot of mechanics want to deal with, okay? Because they hear it's, you know, high voltage. Okay, that it is. Well, let me give you a quick, very, very quick, like a one-minute hybrid class. It's got a DC battery. Is that new to us? Not at all. And we call it a 12-volt battery, which technically is six individual cells, correct? So if you know how to check the 12-volt battery, cell by cell by cell, if it had six cells or 600 cells, does it matter? It's the same diagnostic approach, correct? Just a little more addition, that's all. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's a little more addition, but it's mandated to help you out. But the fact is, it's a DC battery. Don't let the number of voltage scare you unless you want to touch the wires as they get hung on it. <laughs> and in a regular car that we work on, when that battery gets drained down, how do we recharge it? It's an alternator. An alternator is nothing more than a three-phase motor, correct? Mm-hmm. What do you think is in a hybrid? It's got two of them bigger. They're three-phase motors. They make AC voltage. An alternator on a car makes AC voltage to charge a DC battery. So I have this little funky thing there that uh, converts it from AC to DC. I don't care what you want to call it, but on a hybrid, it's the same thing, whatever they want to call it. It is sure. nothing more. I call it the marvel of simplicity. It's three-phase motors. you still got the UVW legs. You still would own them out or check current or voltage drop, okay? Whether the car's got one computer or 22 computers, the computer's a computer. You know, you've got to give it power. you got to give it ground, okay? It's still got a DC battery. Oh, it's got electric air conditioning. Okay, that's another alternator or three-phase motor. And the testing stays the same. So electric vehicle, same thing. Basic electrical is critical. Very, very critical. It's the, You don't have to go and apply like Ohm's Law, Watt's Law, Kirchhoff's Law, that stuff. But you have to understand how to test it. And how, at least with Ohm's Law, how one affects the other. Yeah, the relationship between them. Yep. That's mm-hmm. always been my, my focus. It's not so much the math and the equations. That's cool, but uh, how one affects the other is is if you can really grasp that and apply it in your mm-hmm. testing, it's, it's so, lights out. You got it. <laughs> as a trainer, and I was just talking to one of my trainers today about this. How do you make Ohm's law fun and interesting when you're teaching it? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now this is like man, this is an old guy from New Jersey here. So bear with. I don't use EIR, or ATG uses VAR, volts, amps, resistance, right? I use volts, current resistance, because I can remember a VCR. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Years ago, if you didn't know how to read a manual or had to do any skills, the VCR would always flash the time. Oh, sure, sure. Right? So So between the C and the R is the time. There you go. <laughs> okay. So and that's another an ATG quality. We spend the time to figure out how to make a an advanced level interesting, um, not boring, um, simplified in layman's terms, make a boring subject. Like to me, basic electrical could be boring for a lot of people. But can you make fun? Can you change something? Use an acronym that uh, you make up and you know, as you're bored and driving. You know, there's nothing better in a classroom than laughter. 
you know, yeah. they're enjoying it. Um, matter of fact, uh, we did a webinar and somebody wrote a comment and I, he didn't, I guess he didn't know my name. You know what he said? The old guy's funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, you know, and I, you know, I work with my trainers as much as I can to let's run through some slides. You know, we use uh, something similar to Zoom and we'll go back and forth and you teach me that uh, case study. And then I'll teach it back to you. We go back and forth and uh, just something is a different analogy, just something to make it different. Um, Cause these guys are working, they're working eight to five. Then they got to go grab a bite to eat, meet us in class. You know, we don't serve for no classes pre COVID. We serve refreshments, you know, salt and water and stuff, but now with COVID without that, um, they're tired. You got to keep them awake. Got to keep them alert. You know, um, they don't want to after working a full day in the yeah. shop. They don't want to sit there and try to understand what's law. And it's just, well, how do I need to know it? And with the basic electrical, um, only because I went through it last night, most of the guys that grab their multimeter, the first thing they're going to check is voltage. Their multimeter, they check voltage, correct? That's why he's at the top half of the pie. He's the most commonly checked. The second most common thing they do is resistance. Checking, owning something out. Mm -hmm. The least one that the people use is current. Or amperage, which one of those is more conclusive in a test result? Uh, current most of the time, especially yeah. if it's an output or something, right? So you say to yourself, "Am I am I teaching you basic electrical, or am I teaching you why you want to learn it?" And then you get into well, you know, the current is equal to all parts of a series circuit. That if the series circuit, I don't have to get to that injector; I can pop the fuse. Yeah, right. Um, so you put a Y factor. You try to put a little fun into it um make creative creativity we're huge at that with the trainers um and you know coming up with our own stuff um the webinars have been interesting it's been a whole new thing for everybody you know yeah do it um but we, we had to do the the spring portion of our courses online and so, I mean, it's, this, it's tough. It, it just does not, it's not the same as in person. I mean, especially they're missing out on the shop time for a college course, but even just a, a lecture or going through something, it, it's just not the same yeah. on a screen. It just it, something's missing there. So that so, I, I would encourage anybody to go to an in-person class if you're well, able to. Well, you know, I can't, um, I like to, you know, start a class off and hit it, discuss a few subjects in a general format and just get some feedback and try to build a class. I mean, on what that level of technician is, and, you know, they're all different levels, but I can adjust and adapt. Well, on a webinar, I can't see anything. I don't see their faces. Um, there might be some guys that want to ask questions, but they're too timid to type it in the chat room. But in the classroom, I would see that in their eyes, that they look a little confused. And then maybe I'll use a different analogy. So you can kind of build every class. You see, every class is different based upon our students. You know, I don't want to be so advanced that the uh, younger tech or less experienced tech gets lost and says that's too high end for me. And I also don't want the other end. You can't do that in a webinar. I like to walk around and, and talk to the guys before class, after class, during breaks. You guys ever use that kind of diagnosis? Have you seen any of those kind of cars? And that's how I can make the class better. You know, we always say no two classes are identical. So yeah. And adapt to the audience, you know. And I tell guys, listen, normally in this class, you know, we don't go through the uh, 
um, intake manifold runner controls in our Ford class. We just don't have the time because it's 350 page manual that would take me about at least four nights to build. Okay. Um, but if you got a problem in the car or really didn't understand the intake manifold runner control, you let me know now, let me know during break, after class, before class tomorrow, I will spend the time. And in a, one of our classes, relative compression was coming up. I said, you know what? I'll, I'll start tomorrow half hour early. Meet me in the parking lot at six o'clock. We'll do a couple of relative compressions. Now, nice. I don't do that every night, but if they ask for it, why not? Yeah. You know, um, one night we were doing uh, CAN network communication diagnosis where I was using a breakout box and I was showing out wires so they get to see what it looked like on the tool. Um, so, yeah, we're very creative. Um, and I push that um, with my guys. Uh, like I said, we're out of San Diego. It's, uh, I think there's, I don't know, last I heard, I was like 10 or 12 people in that office to help put this together um, from the administrative to the sales team. Um, we try to come out with a new subject two to three times a year. Okay. Um, we actually, we have electronic demo boards that look like a car and all the parts on it. Um, and it's got faults built into it. It's programmable to change faults. And then we got resistance. It's a whole bunch of stuff we can do with it. We're doing lab scope hands-on with that. We're doing a Ford. Probably beginning of next year, we're going to do an advanced drivability, which is almost like a... We're going to start hitting the our ideology really, really, really heavy. Um, after that, we're thinking about doing a, the same electronics board, but go back to electrical and electrical shorts and voltage drop. Um, things like checking the circuit. Hey, I unplugged the injector and I got 12 volts to plug. That doesn't mean anything to me. And the analogy I bring up to everybody, I got a piece of wire. It's one foot long, 60 strands of high quality wire. I own it out. You're going to get about zero, correct? Mm-hmm. Cut 59 of the 60 strands. What's my reading? The same. Yeah. Years ago, the wire would burn up. In today's world, that PCM is going to show, or the, the, whatever the module is controlling, it's going to shut it down. It shut down that drive in fleet. It says the voltage drop. How can you tell? Go look at your freeze frame data, zero RPM. Yeah, it's, uh. it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and actually, you know, I can see by the smile on your face and some of the things I say. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I got to imagine yeah, creating, you know, working those classes together. That's That's got to be awesome. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's fun. The bad news is, is when, when we get going, I'm talking three, four hour phone calls. We get into it. Like after the kids and the wives and the dog went to bed and stuff like that. And, you know, because we're all over the country. So you don't know what time it is for who. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are you doing tonight? Yeah, nothing going on. Yeah, not, no ball game on. All right. Why don't we talk about the DVT or GDI or a turbos or something? And we just get at it and just start yapping away and throwing ideas. Most of us have two computers. We're Googling this while we're Googling that. Um, and just fun. all we want to do is make life easy for everybody. How's that sound? That's so great. Out there. Just make it easy for them. Um, the only guidance that's in the industry as a whole is the generalist flow charts. And I'm sure any seasoned tech will tell you they may work, but it should say right on the top of the page. If you continue to use this flow chart, you're never going to make book time. <laughs> Yeah, a little disclaimer at the top. What was it? I think it was the uh, 171-174 code on a Ford product years ago. It was 22 pages. Boy. 
Yeah, I think the most useful thing I get out of a flow chart, because I don't follow them step by step, but sometimes they'll give you little pieces of information uh, so that sure. you can help understand what the code's checking for, what systems sure. are involved, or maybe even a value, like a, vo- a voltage at a certain point. Oh, okay. They didn't say that in service information, but it's in the flow chart. That's, that's where I'll at least scan it and see what they're sure. having me do, and then I kind of... Take it sure, from there. Like, uh, an easy one is the map sensor uh, versus the years ago, we had a vacuum sensor where some map sensors started high, went low, some start low, go high. So, or when I want to check current on an injector, well, <clears throat> how much current should I flow? Oh, I don't know. Look at the flow chart, it tells you to ohm it out and it measures 12 ohms, 12 ohms supply, 12 divided by 12 is one. You know? So yeah, specification is a good place to find it. Nissan, they give you cam crank sync patterns in their flow charts. Yeah, I'm seeing that more and more often. Yep. Uh, that's pretty cool to see that in service info. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Code setting criteria. That's actually how I had uh, met ATG. Um, they sold books years ago that was nothing more than code setting criteria for all different manufacturers. This is going back oh, late 80s, early 90s. There were a company called Gendum at the time. And I love those books because I'd get a code and I'd read why the code set, what was it looking for, was it a high voltage, a low voltage, an erratic voltage? Was it a hot, cold? Uh, uh, I wish I wish I had that for every single code. I, sometimes some vehicle manufacturers are just really lacking in that uh, that description of what's going on there. The problem is if you find out what's said in the code now and they change the software update, <laughs> then the criteria changes. And I know that for a fact. I've, I've done, I've done the, my homework on that. So, you know, so... We focus, I keep saying, on the simple stuff first, perfect the basics. Um, don't go over your means, you know, don't go buy a piece of tool because it's cool. Um, you know, people ask me, oh, I'm thinking about getting a new scope. You recommend the Pico or the E-scope. I say, what scope do you have now? And they say, I got a Varus. Well, what's wrong with the Varus? Is it broken? No. Well, what do you want to do with the Pico or E-scope that you can't do with the Varus? And I can't get an answer. They want to buy it because it's cool. Well, if you buy the new tool, you're going to be going through the new learning curve and read the new manual. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what you got. Yep. Tell me what you need and why you need it. Yeah. The, the tool that you're really familiar with that you know exactly, again, you have the expected test results. Um, that's going to be the best one for you. And no reason you can't add something new, but sure. it should be a scenario where you've run into something and you're like, man, I wish I had this. Well, I need. That, that's that, that's the time that you're going to go purchase it. Right. Right. Uh, nope. No, I'm not a huge fan on having to tell everybody you got to go buy factory level scan tools and the best scope on the planet to fix everything. I want to find a way to teach everybody how to do it. Simple. Simple and easy. Great. Well, hey, we're, uh, we're running up on hour and a half. I don't want to keep you too long. Yeah. Must make you one of my trainers. This is the way we go about it. So just nah. flying by. Um, I always do like to ask all my guests though, um, sure. if they have any recommendations for, a younger tech or just somebody looking to improve themselves. And I mean, you've given a ton this evening, but I don't know if you had anything specific for somebody who's um, just getting started in this business. Now perfect the basics and that's at all level. I don't care what level you are. Um, I said earlier, do not try to be the, uh, like an A tech, 
Don't go from a C tech to an A tech. You know, don't go from a C tech to a B tech until you're at a C plus tech. You, know, you just mentioned scan tools. How many guys know all the features available in their scan tools? Probably you know, not learn, a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Learn the basics, perfect the basics. You know, the career is a long lifetime career, hopefully, and you got plenty of time. Um, the good news today is you could probably spend half your life on YouTube, right? There's, and classes and webinars and, and, and get advice that way. But I, I, I pretty have said it. Don't go above your means. Take it slow. It's not an eight to five job anymore. It's a career. Um, if it's in your blood, you know, with practice on your own cars. If you got a scan tool, you got a scope. Why can't you go scope your own crank sensor or cam sensor? Right. Still got, even this is not a younger text. This is any tech. Never take a tool and perform a test on a broken car until you performed it 10 times on a known good car. How do you know what a bad pattern looks like? If you don't know what a good pattern looks like. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, I've been guilty of that myself. Just oh, uh, yeah. well, we're looking at this and they're like, well, is it, is it good? Is it bad? I haven't oh, done yeah, it enough times to really oh, know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you show your call. Hey Bob, come here. Does that pattern look good now? Well, you find a pattern, oh, that's definitely bad. Then you found out that they changed the system around. You yeah, know. or one engine's a little different than another, you know. You know, if you're more of a tire and brake guy, you know what? There's a lot of knowledge about tires that you can learn. There's a lot about brakes. Now, just to give you an example, when maybe 20, 30 years ago, we didn't care about brakes, you know. ABS was not a big thing. It was kind of like on a higher-end vehicles. Now it's mandatory. Now we got cars that are using brake systems to steer you back in the lane if you're swerving. Now I've got tire size is absolutely critical when you get into ADA systems with vehicle height. Um, uh, this was Wednesday night. A newer Hyundai with a TPS light on. The car was in an accident. Hit the left front fender. They put one new tire on. He says, well, I took the tire off. They, there was no sensor. I said, okay. I said, you can put, and he goes, I put a sensor in, and I can't program it. It turns out they don't use sensors. They use ABS speed. Okay. And one tire was brand new, and the other three are kind of worn out. Yeah, that'll throw her off a little bit. <laughs> you lowered the tire pressure, and the new tire fixed it. <laughs> so that's how, you know, even the tire guy. If you're a lube guy, you know, you're at that level, believe me, learn everything you can about lubrications, then you can teach me because trying to keep up with these oil standards is another headache in itself, right? Yeah. Um, and now you can build your foundation. So if you work your way up to a B tech and you start doing timing chains and belts, and then you get up to an A tech and you're doing diagnostics, a lot of the common causes of timing chain failures is go back. It's, it's the lube, it's the oils they're using. So, but if you don't understand the oils, you would understand how it's affecting VVT and chain issues. So no matter what level you're at, try to perfect as best as possible before you move up. Yeah. And I think any shop owner would, would admit if you got a guy who is trying to be the best at what he's doing, even if it's tires or brakes, if he has that drive to be the best, they're going to hold on to you. They're going to move you up. You're oh, going sure. to get promoted. Just, even if you are just sweeping the floor, if you were doing the best job of sweeping that floor, guess sure. what? They're going to, you're going to do well. Oh, yeah. Don't talk to me about sweeping floors. I used to call my bed a hospital bay. That's how clean I kept it. <laughs> okay. 
Um, now, someone had told me once, I can't be a slob in the bay and be a perfectionist under the hood. And I was having problems until I cleaned up my bay. And I was a perfectionist in the bay and a perfectionist on the hood. Yeah. I had to change my, you know, I was the grease monkey back in the day. I wasn't the mechanic. I wasn't the technician. But a younger technician, um, if they've got the desire and they're willing to put it, I said it earlier, some techs can read a book once and get it. Sometimes you got to read it two, three times. Um, you know, some of this eight stuff, I guarantee it, I'll read this stuff three times. And then I'm going to have to work with the PowerPoint. I could switch. I'll give you an example. My opinion is that the average trainer, when we go to a classroom, besides my 47 years experience, I'm probably putting in anywhere from 50 to 100, maybe even 125 hours of prep time. Study, research. So I don't think that someone gets smart because they were born smart or something out of fact. We all had to put in our legwork. But once you do, I still get chills when I teach. Yeah, that that prep time, if if you've never done it before, I, I remember the first day that I went in to teach, transitioning from a tech to being a teacher. And I'm super nervous, but I had I I had enough material I thought that would take me two days to cover with the class. And I was so nervous and I was talking so fast. And yep. I got I got through everything by lunch. And I'm like, uh <laughs> yeah, that's the prep time. We, yeah. we build- I'll shoot for about 200, 225 slides for seven hours. Now, mind you, the 100 hours I'm talking about is the first time you teach it. So you have about 225 slides. And then after you teach the class 10 times, you use an old 225. But after about 10 times, you use a 190, 180, 170, 160. You should slow them down. Yeah. Actually, different ways to explain it, uh, different idea, uh, different uh, analogies. Um but no, you know, because you, you're going to teach the stuff, you're going to have to be confident. And there's always going to be a question that you have to have the answer to. So you're doing, doing your research. Yeah. I mean, I love that part. I mean, to me, it's fun to, well, go rent the car and start probing, probing wires. And sometimes I bring my scan to when I fly to invent the car and start playing around. And oops, um, I think I broke something. Clear the code, sit, go back into the car. Um, <laughs> uh, there's something like, wrong with this one <laughs> yeah. um yeah uh what i uh oh we were doing we we're trying to do relative compression on the car and the clear flood mode wouldn't work so i disconnected the coils yeah and it set the code check engine light okay <laughs> what's wrong with this car um <laughs> No, no, it's it's a lot of prep work for a trainer, um, at least for, in my opinion, a trainer that's going to uh, be versatile um, and try to spend the time to not give you facts that you can find elsewhere. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. A theory of how something works, but an ideology of how we could diagnose it more confidently, quicker, and easier. And all that stuff's in our manuals. It's in our classes. We have case studies to prove it. Uh, the few interactive classes that we have, whether it be the wiring diagram or the scope class, um, you just do what you can see it. Um, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, uh, for sure. This is uh, great stuff. And yeah, I encourage anybody listening to check out. I'll put the link to 
ATG. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ATG.com, but I'll put the link in the show notes for anybody listening yeah. if they want to click on it and check all this stuff out. Yeah, but, um, we normally have about one month of our scheduled webinars and live classes up there if someone wants to attend. Um, all the manuals are available um, on our website for purchase. Um, the only manual that would never be available is a, cu- a class that we're currently teaching. So oh, we're okay. We're teaching like the new Ford. That class, that book won't be for sale for another year. I see. Um, but so there'd be an older Ford book, the one that we did maybe five years ago. Okay. Um, well, they're all out there. Great. Well, hey, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, um, no problem. Really appreciate it. This has been uh, this has been great. So, all right. Okay, one more real big thank you to Chris for joining me on the show today. I really enjoyed that talk. Uh, It's crazy. (laughs) Time just flew by uh, as we were getting into all that stuff. But uh, for anybody listening, once again, I really encourage you to check out any kind of training you can get. I mean, you're listening to this podcast, so you're already getting something. But uh, some of these classes that ATG and other companies are putting on. Uh, it's so important to advance yourself as a technician to grow your knowledge. So any of the ATG uh, courses, whether it be in person, online, or even just the training manual, make sure to check out the link in the show notes, but I'll give it to you here as well. It is atgtraining.com and you can find out the entire schedule, when and where you can make a class or get something set up so that you can Take one of the online classes, whatever it might be. But that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening, and let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.